I used to spend my days primarily reviewing video games for a living, and I always believed that a review should be the beginning of the conversation, not the final verdict. That applies more today than it ever has. We're living in a time when products launch and continuously evolve. Iterative improvements are made through constant updates. They're driven by community feedback and a steady global conversation that simply can't be ignored. You could say the same thing about a Linux distribution or even an activity or app that's a crucial part of your experience with that Linux distribution. Maybe that's why the distro hoppers among us periodically revisit a certain desktop environment or the distro they played with a year or two ago. We're curious. We want to see those advancements. We want to see if maybe the grass is greener on the other side. Well, in July of 2018, playing thousands of Windows exclusive games on Linux by simply hitting the install button on Steam was impossible. The grass was definitely greener on the Windows side of the fence. Today, Valve and all the talented developers involved in Proton have flipped what we expected from Linux on its head. They completely changed the conversation we were having less than one year ago. In this episode, we're going to talk about how different that conversation is today. Forming an opinion on something, it's okay, but it's always a good idea to keep an open mind, keep tabs on that thing you formed an opinion about, and never close the door to that conversation. Keeping an open mind and having that conversation together is what this show is all about. Hi, this is Jesper, and we are listening to Linux for everyone in Denmark. Welcome home. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Linux for Everyone, a podcast about desktop Linux, open source software, and the community creating it or enjoying it. My name is Jason Evangelo. I write technology stuff over at Forbes.com, and I have to play my games on easy difficulty. Anyway, thank you so much for being alongside me on this Linux journey of mine. We're going to jump right in because episode four is enormous. I will be speaking to Ryan, a.k.a. DOS Geek, about his Linux origin story, and then we're going to jump into a huge discussion about the first year of Steam Proton and everything that has entailed. Before that, another really cool community voice segment and songs from the source. Before we get into any of that, though, let's look at our discovery of the week. I think the best apps for any operating system are ones that are designed to do one thing really, really well. And Peak does one thing really, really well. The application is Peak. It is spelled P-E-E-K. And it's basically a way for you to simply record your screen. 
It was built for the specific use case of recording a screen area. So that could be showing a UI feature of your own app, or you could use it to collect visual information when you're filing a bug report. It's super, super easy to use. You simply open it and you drag the overlay onto the area of your screen you want to record, and you can record to a GIF or you can record to WebM and MP4 formats. It is just, it's really easy to use, and it's um, part of my arsenal now. It's one of those go-to apps that I have on every one of my systems. Now, Peak has official packages in the repositories for Arch Linux, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, Solus, and a few other distributions. You can also install it via Flatpak, and while it doesn't have Snap support right now, there is an app image, so there are a number of ways that you can get it installed on your system. It's phenomenal. It's simple, and uh, you should definitely use it if you've ever wanted something very, very easy for recording your screen. Before we move on to the community spotlight and the big discussion about Steam Proton with DOSGeek, let's get a little housekeeping out of the way, and let me start by admitting that I made a mistake. In episode three, there was a reference to something that uh, a prominent member of the Linux community had said about creating and sharing distributions. And while I still somewhat disagree with the overall message that was within that statement, um, I, I think that you know if you want to create anything and share it with the world, you should be encouraged to do that. I did misrepresent the comment a little bit by saying that that act was selfish. And what this person was saying is that if you happen to create a distribution and then say, well, I'm not going to support it anymore, the selfish part of that is asking all those users to install something else because their operating system is no longer supported. So I wanted to clear the air on that and... uh, You know, sometimes you have to admit that you make a mistake, and I don't want that to go unresolved. Next, I want to thank all of my patrons. I am so grateful to you guys for contributing your hard-earned money for something that you could get for free for supporting the show. We are up to 23 patrons now, and that is just awesome because that covers the very, very basic expense of hosting Linux for Everyone over at Fireside FM. Carl, Robert... Anthony, Bearded Giant Games, all you guys who have contributed to the Patreon for this show, thank you very much. If you're listening to the show and you're interested in contributing to the Patreon, you can find it at patreon.com slash Linux for everyone. There are a couple tiers that are pretty easy to get into. For a dollar, you can be an associate producer of the show, and that gets you an actual credit on the Linux for Everyone website, and it also gets you a special role in our Discord server, which says Associate Producer. For $4 or more, you can get early access to each episode at least 24 hours in advance, and you also get the podcast delivered in 320k MP3 instead of 128k MP3. And that's something I wanted to do, especially for people who really enjoy the music segments at the end. If you just want to join up with the Linux for Everyone community, which is exploding, you can find us all on Telegram, Facebook, or Twitter. For all three of those networks, the tag is Linux, the number four, everyone. 
And you can also check the show notes in your podcast player or go over to linuxforeveryone.fireside.fm for the link to all the stuff that is talked about on the show, as well as our brand new Discord server. This week for the Community Voice segment, I asked you a really tough question, but it yielded some super helpful and insightful answers. The question is, if you could give a brand new Linux user just one tip, what would it be? I asked you to send your responses to linuxforeveryone at pm.me, which you can do at any time for any reason, and here are some of the best answers. Clayton says, It's certainly difficult to narrow down the possibilities. There's so much to share with new users, but I'd say my number one tip would be not to give up on doing what makes you happy. To elaborate on this, it stems from the challenges I've faced and that I've seen others face in their journey to Linux. There's opposition to any choice you make, even as a user. Criticisms fly. People say things they could, of course, go without saying. None of that means anything, though. We have the freedom to make these choices for ourselves, and there's absolutely no reason you should be left out for using and doing what makes you happy. If you have found your passion, hobby, or home, that's where you belong. Don't let anyone discourage you from embracing it. Clayton, plus 1,000 for that email. Uh, that is not just Linux advice, that is life advice. And next up is a tip from Morrow. He says, Don't listen to all the pro-Linux fanatics that try to convince you to install some exotic, super-hardcore distribution. Easier to install and manage does not mean less powerful. Stay as close as possible to upstream. Ubuntu or Ubuntu flavors are a great place to start. Use the LTS version with hardware enablement stack and proposed updates. By doing so, you get an amazingly stable distribution with rolling kernel and video driver updates. Only mess with your PPAs once every couple years. On top of that, Ubuntu is the default Linux desktop distribution most companies use to test Linux games and apps. Want to try something else? Do it either in a separate hard drive or use virtual machines. Thank you, Moro. That's a very specific and, and helpful answer. All right, next up... A tip from Tony Hughes for Linux beginners. Don't be intimidated by the fact that it's different from Windows. Embrace it. If you're on a Linux distribution aimed at the new user, many of the common things you're already doing on Windows are just as easy to do on Linux. And you are in control, not the OS. You decide when and what to do. Simply put, the easy stuff is still easy, and the advanced stuff you can learn in time. Awesome, Tony. Thank you to uh, Tony, Morrow, and Clayton for sending those in. If you have a tip or a trick or a piece of advice or just something you want to get off your chest, you can email the show at linuxforeveryone at pm.me. So my very special guest on this episode is Ryan, a.k.a. DosGeek. How are you doing, man? I am doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. I was eager to get one of you cool Destination Linux guys on my show um, since I hadn't started my show when I was on your show. 
That's right. I mean, we had an awesome time when you came on the show, and uh, I'm so happy we had the chance to interview you early on, early-ish on in your Linux journey. So I guess now is time for the flip the script, and now I get to be the one uh, interviewed on your show. And I've absolutely enjoyed everything you've done with your show and truly mean that. I, I just I watch the community reaction to what you're doing and how much you're involving the community in your show, including the music, which cannot go understated. The music you have at the end of each episode, kind of finding new ways to bring the community into your podcast. And I absolutely love it. Thanks. And you know what's crazy is those guys show up too. Unfa, right? He he showed up to the Telegram group. Um Zappa from, you know, the developer of Space Mercs. He showed up to our Discord and they're all just getting in there and getting friendly. It's it's incredible. You know what people don't realize is that you know, I guess when you're when you have a podcast or you have a platform and you start growing, they I, I think maybe in people's minds they assume that we're not kind of starstruck in some ways, but certain developers when they show up to Destination Linux Telegram, you know, like we have Manjaro developers show up or Endeavor or or somebody who creates an application. There are times where we've said things in our Telegram group and, you know, someone will pop up and go, yeah, I'm the developer for that. We get starstruck. We're like, oh, my gosh, they showed up to my Telegram. They're hanging out with me. Um, you know, and you almost sometimes I sit there at my keyboard. I don't know what to say to them. Like, I'm starstruck because to me, they're stars. They're they're incredible. They're brilliant geniuses. So. Like hi hi I I I really like I really like your distribution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how it is, though. Sometimes for me, so I, I get starstruck from some of the folks in the community, and I love when they show up. Well, Ryan, I'm going to assume, just to be safe, that no one listening to this show knows who you are or what you do. So let's start really briefly at the beginning. What is your Linux origin story? How did it all begin for you? So I think I have a unique origin story, but it, it parallels a lot to yours in some ways. And uh, so I was decided I was going to launch a YouTube channel that really was just going to be anything geek related that I was working on at that moment. Because I realized I'm always involved in some project. Why not record it, put it out there in the community, try to do some educational uh, material out there for people's in case they in, in case they want to play in case they want to try some of the crazy things that I might be up to and a lot of that video because I made my living in Windows was Windows related uh, material so I would be in a Windows operating system was either building new computers or doing something with hardware or talking about security and privacy in Windows how to set certain privacy settings up how to be more secure on the internet. What was interesting is during that time, people would leave little comments and they would say stuff like, have you looked at Linux? Have you, you know, tried um, Tails and Wanix, I think was the first one that really captured my attention. So when they would leave the comments, because it was such a small channel, nobody was practically watching it, maybe 100 people uh, total, I was I, I would take each comment and I would do some research and I was like, wow, this Tails and Wanix thing looks really interesting. So I started just dabbling with this. And the deeper I went into it, the more I realized there's this operating system out there. There's this entire uh, ecosystem out there of people who are interested in privacy, who are highly technically efficient, who 
have a passion for an OS and nobody who uses Windows is passionate about Windows. Like there's not a bunch of user groups everywhere, you know, being thrown up and podcasts, you know, being uh, created over Windows. So this kind of intrigued me and I decided I had the latest hardware at the time that I could afford anyways. I just had purchased the latest NVIDIA GPU at the time, the latest Intel. I had, you know, a massive beast of a computer built. Would Linux run on it? And I thought, this is a good idea for a video. Nobody's watching my channel anyway. So I'll just throw 30 days. I'm going to do a 30 days of Linux challenge. And I'm going to see if I can run Linux on the latest hardware. When I started the first couple videos, the Linux community found them and they gave me this incredible hug of love and just swarmed my channel with, you know, keep it up. Here's what you need to do differently. Here's why you can't get this working. You know, just helping me through this whole thing. They truly cared. I hear that so often. And I, I feel the same way. Well, I actually have a question from the community. Um, someone who's in both of our communities, actually. I think his name is Olzi or Oliver, Olzi, from your 30 days with Linux challenge until now, what do you think is the most valuable lesson that you learned in Linux? And what would you tell a new user to learn to make their life easier? I think for new users, the first thing, most valuable lesson I learned was not to get stuck in the fiefdoms that get created in Linux. There are certain fiefdoms that will say, you know, You've got to run Arch. You've got to use this distro. You This desktop environment's the best. And you're natural when you're new. You're very susceptible to those type of comments. And so my first thing would be carve your own path. Uh, hmm. the, the second thing I would tell to Linux users that I think is very important is a lot of this software that we're using is a labor of love. It's just simply passionate people who work regular jobs, have families, and they dedicate themselves to providing this free software for the community to basically help close the digital divide out of just pure love It's in, in, in a lot of ways. So saying thank you was something that I think even myself missed out on at the beginning of finding the developers that create this software, even if it's something small. Maybe it's just a script. Maybe it's just a GitHub, you know, app that you downloaded. But go find who created it and tell them thank you for creating this at the very least. And if you can donate, definitely do so. That's really good advice. And it's advice that I, I need to act more on myself. When I the first time that I receive people, you know, thanking me for those that, that software, it was just I, I instantly opened up my IDE coder uh, platform again and was just like, all right, I got to, I got to add to this. I got to make it better because all of a sudden I had an audience that cared about it. And then the first time I received donations for the software, there was this extreme amount of guilt that I felt first because it's like my stuff is not worth anybody's money. Um, but it, that is called it, imposter syndrome and do not let it affect you. I have another question for you from the community. This one's from DM. How many computers do you have in your house total? And how many of those are running Linux? <laughs> Such a great question. Um, every computer in this house that I have runs Linux except for one. The one computer that does not... Actually, no, I got to take that back. There's two. I have my work computer that I have to use Windows on. 
And uh, my wife has a computer that she does not use because she prefers tablets and phones, but it is sitting on Windows because I am going to do a video series where I switch my wife to Linux. Is this with her knowledge or is this more of a, um, we've secretly replaced this woman's operating system with Linux. Is it one of those things? (laughs) surprise you're on Linux yeah no I don't think it will be one of those things she no she is very uh interested in actually switching to Linux and it's funny because I do a lot of classes and training and reading around Linux I feel like I have to catch up to the 20 years of experience that most people seem to have with Linux and she here overhears this stuff so at times I've been taking even you know certification courses and there will be video playing as I'm taking pre-tests and things and she'll shout out the answer. So it's become so much ingrained in our lifestyle because I spend almost all my free time. If it's not with the family, it's something Linux related uh, with Linux that I think most of them and my kids, you know, are, will, will shout out their favorite operating system is Linux. And it's just become kind of a way of life. If somebody came to me face-to-face and said, I'm interested in Linux, can you put a Linux distribution on my laptop and show it to me? And, you know, let's assume you get one shot to make that good impression, right? I guess my question is, when it comes to someone close to you like that, what Linux distribution are you putting on their computer and why? For a while, for me, it was Mint, because Mint seemed to provide this incredible credible, familiar platform for somebody who's used to being in Windows. And Linux Mint is a fantastic option still to this day. Nothing's changed there. However, recently with my adventures in Pop! OS, I would probably throw people on Pop! OS at this moment, just because to me, System76 and the work that they have done in Pop! OS is absolutely, bar none, incredible. Yeah, there's certainly a advantage to using a distribution from a company who has this vested interest in ensuring that that distribution works on a wide range of hardware because they're putting in that wide range of hardware into the systems they sell. And I I, I feel like they can partially do that because they're such a small team and they're very agile. Exactly. Yeah. And they've grown exponentially, even in the four years I've been in Linux, you know, it kind of started out as some people talked about System76 here and there. And now it's pretty much, you know, everybody knows System76, everybody talks about it. Maybe not everybody can afford to go out and get one, but they certainly, I think, drool over the hardware that they're releasing. And it's just that that company's growing. And I love the culture that they're creating around that company. So hopefully, uh, it continues. It's interesting. It's interesting that they used the word culture and the word drool because it instantly, <laughs> no, I'm serious. It, 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 it instantly makes me think that System76 may be the Apple of the Linux world. If you think about the Apple of yesterday and the fact that they focus so heavily on the design elements and really making you want to utilize that hardware that they 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 created the unibody aluminum shell was just gorgeous when it first came out just absolutely stunning the quality of the screens the care that you received from a care a customer care standpoint you know that was 
basically touted throughout the community that, hey, even if you have a five-year-old iPhone and it breaks, if you go in an Apple store, they, they may just replace it on the spot just to do so because they're they're uh they want to support their community and of course you paid for that experience right you paid more for their hardware and stuff but you got something in return i think system 76 does do that in a way but they're making it their own as well they're not trying to like samsung and apple and all these companies today just copy each other it's the same device over and over and over again if you look at the new wood panel system 76 desktop that to me was innovative. That was something completely different that they threw out there. And that's the Apple aspect that came from that, that you're talking about there, where you get that drool factor and then that community factor. Cause every post they have and every person I know that works for system 76 seems happy. they like working there and they seem to love Linux. I have to say just on a side note, I hope that I see a day where Elementary and System76 collaborate on an Ultrabook. Ooh. I want to... That's like kind of my dream pairing right now is I want to see that like, you know, like Cassidy's like hyper attention to detail and design applied to hardware. And then of course the the engineers at System76 making that happen. It seems like a brilliant pairing, doesn't it? Because both of them just focus on that detail so perfectly. Yeah, I would love to see that. Let's make it happen. Okay. We'll just put it out. <laughs> there. We're putting it out there now, okay? So you take right. that. The, the, the seed has been planted. Take it, grow it, spread it. Make, I don't know. Make some noise. So I have another question for you. This one comes all the way from Norway. From one gamer to another, are you satisfied on Linux when it comes to games? Was it hard giving up most games before Proton to stay secure and private? This is an interesting question. When I first, so four years ago, I started my Linux journey. And there were certainly games that I was giving up during that time. But I guess it was the perfect timing because in a lot of ways, my priorities were shifting. My kids um, were growing up, they were getting older, and the, my ability to just spend endless hours sitting in front of a computer playing games was diminishing faster uh, than I could imagine. So in a lot of ways, you know, I really didn't feel like I was giving up a lot because it, at the very beginning, there was some dual booting. Obviously, I could go back to Windows at any point and then uh, you know, play a game if I wanted to. But at a certain point, I kind of started feeling like a hypocrite. And not that there's anything wrong with dual booting, but I was out there on a platform telling everybody you need to go to Linux, that Linux is the greatest thing out there. It's it's better than Windows. It's the best operating system. And I was, you know, preaching this on my channel. I was preaching this on Destination Linux. And it just felt like, well, if I truly believe that, then why do I have a Windows partition here as backup. Why am I using this to get into, you know, different games or things I want to play? I need to fully commit myself. And so there was a point where I decided to do that, where I just simply got rid of all of Windows partitions and stayed in Linux full time. And again, there are many reasons why people need to keep Windows on their machine still today. So nothing against people dual booting. But if you can, I highly re recommend you try it. I don't feel like I lost out on any games um, there were a couple of games I would see that I would want to play, and thankfully they would be available for, say, PS4 or something. But for the most part, the hype train in gaming ended up being a disappointment. 
So there's so many AAA games that are out there that are just, and, and this is if you look in the gaming community period, kind of the result people are complaining about is a lot of these studios, these big studios have just grown into these monopolies and they're taking these series and they're ruining them. And so it was kind of perfect timing on that aspect as well, because then I found indie developers in indie games where they're doing that innovative approach to gaming. They're they're not necessarily just focused on graphics. They're focused on that experience of fun and joy and really taking you into a whole new world. And that kind of uh, held me through until Proton came out. And then, of course, now everything's changed. Well, I guess this is a good place to transition into kind of our main focus of this episode, which is talking about one year with Steam Proton. I want to start before Proton. I want to go back to something that I don't think either of us were Linux users when this happened. I want to go back to the Steam box. Do you remember those? I remember them dropping, coming out, and there was this surge, as I recall, of interest, and then it just kind of fell out. Yeah, and I guess uh, for those who who might not know, the Steam Box was sort of the introduction to Steam OS as well. And so their their whole idea was to sell these uh, a wide range of PCs, these little you know mini ITX boxes, um, all the way to massive tower PCs that would be running and shipping with Steam OS. And you know, I think the hook there was that you can boot it up into big picture mode. It's running Linux, so it's going to be cheaper. And they were, and Valve was kind of talking up the, you know, Linux updates are better and they run in the background and they won't nag you. And, you know, they were starting to gently introduce all of the advantages that Linux has for gaming over Windows. And I was actually there at the press conference with Gabe Newell when they were first announcing that and they had all the boxes, all the all the first PCs on display, and I was kind of enamored by it. But then I, you know, I got home and I thought about covering it and I was looking up what games were available on Steam OS and on Steam for Linux. And I just I I completely lost interest. Yeah, it was one of those products where it came out before it was ready. I think if they had held it back and did a release today, it would be a very different story. Valve has an incredible history of pushing Linux as the future gaming platform. They have done some of the most incredible things, including some stuff that we covered this week on Destination Linux with regards to the VR projects that they are funding for the Linux desktop, which is absolutely amazing. Gabe Newell has absolutely been a huge fan of Linux and backed it 100%. I don't know if he's just a, you know, somebody who secretly uses Linux. I've never heard what operating system he runs and that's his love and passion behind the scenes. If so, I wish he would come and do some interviews with any of us uh, or come chat in our channels. <laughs> but, um, you know, but he has been just a huge proponent of Linux from the start. He even called it, you know, that Linux is the future of gaming. I'm going to be honest with you, I kind of chuckled when I heard him say that. And now, now I'm seeing it though. Now I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing the results and the hard work that they've put in. Yeah, he was right. Yep. 
I mean, it, it goes without saying that there is, while there's a lot that goes on in the background, code weavers and wine and all of these different entities and developers who have pushed gaming on Linux forward and even Steam Proton wouldn't be here today, I don't think, at least as good as it is without the work that code weavers and wine and others have put into it. But certainly Valve has picked up on that momentum and turned it into something even more beautiful than what any of us thought it could be. So to set the stage for everybody, August 2018, Valve comes along and just drops this bomb. Windows games with no Linux version currently available can now be installed and run directly from the Linux Steam client, complete with native Steamworks and OpenVR support. And I read that one month after switching to Linux and my jaw just dropped. I didn't understand DXVK. I didn't understand Wine. And it was just like magic to me. They had about 27 games that were officially whitelisted. And, and that, that, those were titles that were like fully vetted by Valve. They considered the experience to be identical to Windows. And I tried a few of those and I was just blown away. And I was thinking... This this really does change everything. It it absolutely changed the landscape. I remember when the announcement came out, the second I saw it, I just got so excited. And I immediately thought, I have to get this out there to the audience as quickly as humanly possible. I went immediately into Steam, stopped what I was doing, downloaded proton because then it was and when it first released it wasn't a part of steam you had to go opt into it and started playing some of the games out there and i think the first game that i tried might have been doom and doom has doom 2016 doom has this really interesting experience with me because it was a game that i absolutely fell in love with i love the new doom the doom 2016 series and it was one of the games that I got working in Linux back with just Wine, using Wine. And I, it was a very popular video that I did way before Proton, where because I kept getting these comments in my 30 days of Linux and thereafter of, I would switch to Linux tomorrow, but gaming on Linux is terrible. Tell me when the games come. So I thought, well, you can play tons of great games. And, there, and Feral was out there, of course, creating some, porting some AAA games over but Doom had just dropped, and I thought, man, if I can get Doom working and it would have incredible speed, people would be blown away about the potential of gaming on Linux. So I spent all day trying to figure out the right wine configuration to get Doom to run and finally got it to run and did a video on it with the 1080 uh, NVIDIA 1080 at the time. And was getting, you know, hundreds of frames per second. And it was just such an exciting moment. But now Proton releases like years later, right? And you can just click install and play. Like it's just a whole new world. I don't even think that the the whole 27 games being whitelisted story is the real story with Proton. Because there was uh there were a group of people, I I I apologize that I don't know their names. Uh, but there was a group of people who who came together and they just had this spreadsheet on Google Sheets, right? And yep. it was it was just people openly um adding the the game title and their hardware specs, what distribution they were running, 
and there was they kind of, I don't know they had like some kind of rating system similar to what protondb.com has now and I mean within a month there were probably thousands of entries on this thing and it was just you know you load that up in your browser and be like oh my gosh yeah. I can't even scroll this thing for like 5 minutes but then of course that turned into protondb.com which is a fantastic resource if you want to see um before you you know plunk down money for it or something if you want to see if one of these games will run on your system on Linux Here's what's interesting. By January of this year, of 2019, more than 500 games were rated platinum. Platinum, meaning these were games that did not run through Steam before August of 2018. But now it's it's 500 at least games that you can just click install. Today, there are more than 1,000 platinum rated games incredible and there's 5898 games that work on linux in one of those categories meaning it's not in the borked category because there's borked bronze silver gold and platinum so you've got 5898 potential games that work what i wanted to ask you though is do you feel like this move from valve whether it was at the very beginning or a year from when they launched it today do you feel like Proton has raised the the profile of Linux in the in the mainstream press, like you know, mainstream consciousness. Without a shadow of a doubt, it has. I mean, when you get you know, to me, it's a sad situation that a lot of the Linux YouTube creators and even media presence is pales in comparison to other platforms for instance when we talk about linux you're talking about somebody with millions of followers i'm not aware of any linux personality period that has anywhere near that i think probably the highest linux content creator out there has maybe a hundred thousand followers or something along those lines so we really don't have that in a strange way that overwhelming and i think a lot of it is from the privacy standpoint and things along those lines this overwhelming platform of which to speak about linux but some people like linus who typically focus on windows and gaming over there in hardware do and for them to stop and create videos related to linux is an incredible lift in the platform and you Notice that a lot of major publication uh, and uh, publications and media out there kind of jumped on this bandwagon shortly after Proton because people said, I, I remember seeing some comments that without Steam, gaming on Linux is dead. Well, without Steam, gaming on Windows is dead too. Steam is the, it, it's pretty much the sole platform out there for all the platforms outside of a console. So, you know, when Steam backs something so heavily and creates a situation where finally we can play these games that we've had to either play on a console or dual boot to, to be able to utilize, and now we don't have to. You don't have to anymore because you, you have all of these games and options available to you because of Proton. It changed the entire landscape. Even if you don't care about gaming at all, 
understand that the adoption of masses to come into Linux, to take Linux to that next level, is going to require gaming because gaming is so important to so many other people. And when you take this to a whole nother level, Valve's work with contributing to projects in order to bring Linux into VR, the Linux desktop I'm talking about into VR, not for games. They've done that as well. But the work that they recently talked about this week in bringing the desktop itself into a VR element, creating a whole new level of potential industries and things that would get involved surgeons. You know, Noah talked about lawyers and setting up juries within a virtual reality world and, you know, businesses that could utilize this style of platform. So now you're taking the gaming element that some people may not care about and you're adding in all of this additional opportunity for Linux in there from the work that Valve is contributing to with other companies that they're working with to bring Linux to the desktop. So at the end of the day, this was a massive prop. This was a massive change to Linux. This, in a way, for me, made it so much easier to tell people to go out there in the community and say, switch to Linux. Even if you're a gamer, switch to Linux. So this is this is the difficult part of the conversation because it's where it's where I have to let my critic come out a little bit. All right. Okay, Linux advocate, you just sit sit in the corner for a minute. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what I struggle with is what about games like Fortnite? What about the games that millions of people are playing for years on end, right? Not not the the latest and greatest, you know, uh, flavor of the week from from Ubisoft or Activision, but the the MOBAs and you know the shooters and the competitive esports games that people are playing. We can't play on Linux with any degree of ease. What does it take to get there? And can we get there? We're at the very beginning of this journey. There are games, like you mentioned, that are extremely popular out there. You can play them on your mobile device. You can play them on your tablet. You can play them on your console. And of course, you can play them on Windows, but you can't play them on Linux. The issue really with a lot of those games specifically, you're mentioning boiled down to anti-cheat software like BattleEye that if you can't get that software running, then those games aren't allowed to run. And I get why they have anti-cheat systems in place, because obviously when you have a game that has millions of people in it, you have some bad actors in there that could ruin the entire experience for anybody else. So they can't just get rid of the anti-cheat and say, well, on Linux, you you don't have an anti-cheat because what would happen then? Well, everybody would go to Linux and be that would be all the cheaters uh, for the game. <laughs> So as I understand it, Valve and others are in talks with those companies to figure out how to get their software to work on Linux. So you're you're correct. My enthusiasm may be overstated in that you can play everything that you want in Linux. But I think most gamers, I think the majority of gamers are probably okay with some of those titles that tend to be flavors of the month, um, not being on Linux right now when you have 5,000 other AAA games you can play, like me and you before this started, we're talking about Nier Automata or Resident Evil or some of these games that are available on Proton that you can play. So there's so many great games out there. And I think, you know, we're all 
that work is really the fault of those studios. It has nothing to do with Linux at the end of the day. And I think that's an important message to get out to people is this is it's not like Linux isn't capable of running it. It's not like there's some hardware uh, enablement stack that uh, keeps the game from running because it's just too intense. You know, it's it's just simply the developers haven't ported the game to Linux or they are not. Uh, able to get their anti-cheat system working correctly in Linux, probably because the anti-cheat systems in some ways can act similar to how malware would act in that they are recording all these events and sending it out to a cloud and things like that in order to create the anti-cheat system. Now, Valve has come worked around this. They have, I think, the most competitive game arguably out there that works on Linux for esports is CSGO. And CSGO has an anti-cheat element as well as a community element to stop cheating. So there are anti-cheat systems that work. There's one particular that I'm thinking of, BattleEye, that is keeping a lot of games from coming, a lot of those games you were talking about from coming to Linux. And I understand there's work underway to make that happen. So I think we're at the very beginning of this journey, and I think we'll see a time when all of those games will work on Linux. And I think that time is very short. I think it's going to come right around the corner. I guess I'm impatient. Uh, you know, it, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's only been a year since since Proton has been a thing. It's been a year. I have to remind myself how cool it is that literally thousands of games that were not at our fingertips are now at our fingertips and playable. I have to remind myself not not just that, but the performance gains that we've seen from when Proton launched a year ago to now. I mean, we're seeing games like F1 2018, like Strange Brigade, like Hitman 2. These are all these are all fairly demanding games that run through the Proton layer and are as performant, if not more performant, at the same settings on the same hardware than the native version of Windows. Yeah, it is surprising sometimes, I guess, because like you, when I started in this journey, running a game on Linux meant you're going to sacrifice 20, 30 frames per second. And now running a game on Linux means you're going to gain 15 to 20 frames per second in some cases, not all, but in some cases um, for a lot of big titles out there. Like I did the benchmarks on the Ryzen uh, 3 series of the 3700X and the Vega uh, Radeon 7 GPU and these benchmarks were blowing away Windows machines in these global benchmark tests out there with far more powerful hardware from a GPU perspective in any case. And I wasn't overclocking. There was not one overclocking setting I had on the entire machine. So we shouldn't be surprised, but because I guess we came from a moment where things were just not really running well, this, these moments, of course, were all before Vulcan took off then we're we're kind of shocked by it. But ultimately, I think Linux, and that's what Gabe knew, was always going to be faster once we got the support from the developers. Lately, I've been sort of viewing our choice, our decision to use Linux, almost like choosing a console. When you choose to have an Xbox One, you're doing that for certain reasons, right? You're doing it maybe for the exclusive games. Maybe you're doing it for the appearance. Maybe you're doing it because... The majority of your friends are on Xbox Live and you want to play with them. Maybe you just really like Microsoft, right? Um, <laughs> and I'm starting to, tr I'm trying to view gaming on Linux almost as a console choice for the same reasons. 
maybe that's a crazy argument or maybe it 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 makes me feel more confident and secure in the choice that I've made to, you know, to use Linux full time and and try to use it for everything that I do. You buy a PC, there are advantages and disadvantages to that. You choose Windows, there are actually advantages and disadvantages to that. You choose Linux and you're saying, you know what? I like the freedom that this gives me. I like that I have control of my PC. I like that I don't have to pay for it. I like that it's not proprietary, that I'm not being tracked or spied on or any any number of those type of reasons, right? And then there's a there's sometimes there's a sacrifice. There's a trade-off where you know what? I'm not going to be able to play everything under the sun, but it's worth it. And the and the games that are here are so numerous that you know, I could never possibly play them all. I love what you just said there because it really brings back an interesting argument for when people say, "Okay, yeah, you can play all of these games on Linux, but you can't play this one game. And when you choose a console like a PlayStation or an Xbox, that happens there too today, right now on these gaming platforms. If you went with Xbox, you're not going to be, or you went with PlayStation, you're not going to be able to play the new Halo. If you went with PlayStation, you know, you're not going to be able to play Gears of War potentially. So there are a lot of games out there that are exclusives for these consoles that make it so that you can't play them. So I I think that's a really interesting argument. And in a way, you're right. You are picking that this is the ecosystem that I want to be in. And that comes with some wins for privacy and security. And for me, a big mission in Linux is closing the digital divide. So there are, you know, many, many people out there that are disadvantaged financially and they have these incredible brains and this incredible passion, but they don't have the ability to spend thousands of dollars on the latest Adobe suite or buy all of this expensive software. And Linux allows for anybody at any financial level to get to a computer and utilize professional applications to podcast, to create video content, to develop games to do all of this for free. So if I lose out the ability to play a couple of games out there and the trade up is I can be part of the solution for a global issue, I'm going to take that solution for the global issue. But I do like that argument that I'm going to steal from you now about consoles because it's the same kind of situation where once you pick one, you know, you're going to go where your friends are at and things, and you're going to pick one based on maybe a, a variety of different issues, but you're going to lose out on some other games when you make that choice. Well, I think that is an excellent place to stop. I want to encourage anyone who might have given up on on Linux gaming and hasn't really um, heard much about Proton and, and, and the the magic that it brings to, to the gaming world on Linux. Check it out. I mean, all you have to do is install Steam, and you're pretty much done. If you own Windows games, you can play those games. You can even copy that game from your Windows drive over to your Steam folder on Linux, and and Proton will like magically go and get all the little extra bits that it needs to run it. 
Well, Ryan, thank you for coming on to the show and, and sharing your insight and your enthusiasm with the audience. Um, let me give you a second to pimp yourself. Well, people can find me out there on Destination Linux podcast. Um, and we have an interview with you, Jason, on there. People need to definitely check out because it's absolutely brilliant. Um, so check out the Destination Linux podcast. You can find me out there on YouTube, youtube.com slash dosgeek. And uh, I have my channel out there where I do everything tech geek related that you can imagine and try to fill your brains. And the community fills my brains right back with tons of information and educational videos out there, hardware, software. We kind of touch and dabble in a little bit of everything. And outside of that, we will be looking at producing some new content in the future as well. So stay tuned there and join the Destination Linux Telegram group to hear more when that's ready. Interesting new content. Yeah, we can't talk about it. Shh, it's secret. Okay, okay, okay. All right. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Well, Ryan, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. And you have a open invitation to come back anytime you want. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for everything you're doing bringing the Linux community together. It has been awesome watching your journey, and not only the fact that you've become such a huge proponent for Linux, but the fact that you're building a community around that passion and a community of people that, much like the community of individuals we've been trying to build, of like, you know, people who are kind, who are passionate about this subject and want to get involved and have just a, um, you know, a kindness about them. And that's what I see when I've joined your communities in Telegram and was looking through your community this morning and Discord is just really great questions and people who truly care about this project and are not trying to, you know, bring negativity into the community and you're enveloping people uh, like, like-minded like that within your own podcast world and the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for everything you've done for Linux as well. My pleasure, dude. Well, I think we can hit stop. Yahoo! Late last year at Forbes, I wrote a feature on a band called Lorenzo's Music. And they got my attention because they used nothing but Ubuntu Studio and open source tools to record their latest album. As always, I will hand it over to the artist and let them tell you about it personally. So I hope you guys enjoy the song, and I will see you next week for episode five. In the meantime, take care, and take care of each other. I'm Tom Ray from the band Lorenzo's Music, and we are a Creative Commons band out of Madison, Wisconsin. Our latest release, Romcom Mixtape, is a project we made using only open source tools and software. Now, that includes recording production, videos, artwork, everything. We even put the DAW files up on GitHub. So those are up there as well. We used Ubuntu Studio for the OS for the whole album, and the song you're about to hear is called Why Did I? So it was tracked and mixed in our Dur. The effects and plugins used are from CAF and Guitarix, and it was mastered using the jack-based mastering tool, Jammin. We even have a video up on YouTube that was edited in Caden Live And it was actually, uh, the video itself is from a Creative Commons short called Chance by Miniature and Human Produce. I love that. So if you like the song, you can just search for Lorenzo's music anywhere you listen to music. And on a side note, I also have an art podcast where I'm currently documenting how I'm turning an old 1930s train car 
into an art gallery and an open source podcast studio. So the podcast is called American Bandito. And if you'd like to learn more about that, you can just search for American Bandito wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, so here is the song Why Did I by my band Lorenzo's Music. Dude, it just happened to me. And I got I was just rambling on and then I was like and then I was like, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Ubuntu is the default Linux desktop distribution. Ubuntu is the default Linux desktop distribution. God, I cannot say that. Oh my goodness. <laughs>